Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Princess Yachts, the UK's leading luxury yacht manufacturer. Proud sponsors of Motorsports Formula One coverage. Hello everyone and welcome to the Motorsport Podcast. I'm Ed Foster and I'm joined by Motorsports Editor-at-Large, Simon Aaron, and Formula One Engineer, Rob Smedley. Rob, a very warm welcome to the Motorsport offices here just off the Finchley Road. Thank you very much for joining us. We've got loads of readers' questions, um, lots to talk about. Uh, but uh, sort of tell me a little bit about what are you up to at the moment? Uh, lots of stuff, really. Um, you know, this, this, this t- 20, 2019 was supposed to be a, a sabbatical um, for me before I um, then returned back into the teams um, after, you know, taking a year off from, from stopping at Williams in, in 2018, 2019 year off, 2020 back in. Um, it hasn't been much of a sabbatical, to be honest. I've been really, really busy, but they're they're all exciting projects. Um, you know, there's there's I've I've kind of taken this time to um, I suppose there's, there's an altruistic element to it, definitely. But you know, I've 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 benefited um, hugely from from this sport, um, from from motor racing for the last 25 years, and I'm really at the stage now where I'm trying to give a little bit back. So, you know, the the, the work that I've been doing with Formula One um, is trying to bring about um, a better understanding for the fan base and, and, and with it trying to increase the, the fan base, um, you know, rather than just watching cars going round and round and round as we've produced Formula One TV shows for the last 50 years or whatever. Um, it's just trying to help the, the public understand a little bit more about it. So I'm involved with that. Um, We'll be further involved with that next year as well, um, and then got lots of little projects on the go. Um, from you know a lot, a lot of it'll all get announced um, quite soon. But um, some fairly major stuff going on in, in grassroots to try to get um, people involved. Um, and believe it or not, you'll have to take a sharp intake of breath here, but try and democratise the grassroots of of motor racing. Because <laughs> if uh, if I don't do it, then nobody else is. <laughs> you were talking there, just obviously your your you're trying to sort of help um you know formula one get to new fans and things like that have you played a part in the regulation changes and things like that with with ross no not really i wasn't i mean i i come in uh, you know I, I started um in the 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 early part of, of 2019 um so so that was already a, a matured body of work if you like it was almost finished it was um or not finished if you like but it but certainly this first tranche of work was already already done um pat simmons and and his team have been been um running that program what what i um what what ross has kind of tasked me with is is to um bring about some of the the mystique that that we as engineers probably understand a lot more than than anybody else um and bring about um explaining some of that to the fan base but to do that you've got to do that as as we do it you know on on a pit wall you've got to do it with numbers and 
and, and, and tools and facts and, and trying to bring about the really exciting bits of the race, which, which most of the time are completely hidden. You know, if you sit on a pit wall and you have the responsibility um, to, to make the right call for, for a pit stop and when to pit the car and, and what tyres to put on the car, um, believe me, um, it's a fairly exciting moment in your life. <laughs> Because uh, at that point, you know, you've got, depending on how big your team are, and the teams go from 700 to, to, to 1,500 um, big, at that point, you've got the whole of the team in your hands. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's other moments during the race where, where, where it's very exciting. And, and quite often, I think what happens is this gets lost because you'll be watching two cars going round and round a track. You know, the international feed shows, shows the same thing, as I said, that, it, that it's shown for the last 50 years. Um, and it's trying to somehow bring that, um, those exciting moments of the race, you know, those really tactical moments, um, and, and, and bring them to life and, 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 and suck people in. You know, we need to get um, the younger people involved in the sport, you know, the younger people to, to, to be watching the sport and to be engaged with it, first of all. So, so, so there's a lot of stuff going on, um, but, you know, the, all them, the, 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 the bosses there at Formula One, um, they've got their work cut out, but I think they've got the right group of people there as well. You talked about taking a year off before maybe venturing back into an engineering role. And then you said you've got all these other projects on the go. Does that mean that your return to Formula One engineering is on hold at present? Or Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I, I had some, some, some pretty good talks with, with, with the teams. Um, you know, I, I'm really lucky that there's, that there's interest, if you like. Um, you know, that's a, that's a nice position to be in. But right now... Um, I think I think there's a couple of things. The, the first is that, that personally, I'm I'm getting more and more engaged with with these other projects that that I'm I'm looking at. You know, not only you know the the, the Formula One side, um, and you know, kind of the, the uh, governance level of the sport, if you like, rather than at that at, at a team level. Um, but but also um, these other projects, which are you know trying to trying to give a little bit back to to, to the community, trying to to. Um, get people interested in the sport. You know, the, the the sport is 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 waning. If you want to know what the demographic looks like, look at me and look at Ed, because <laughs> that that's about your demographic and it's about that wide. Um, and there's responsibility for for some of us in the sport to try and grow that and and, and get people more interested. So so yes, to answer your question in a very long winded way, Simon, <laughs> um, it, it's it's on hold for the for the minute. Yeah. Do you not think you'd uh, grow the audience a bit with some more comedy radio messages? You were very, you were very good at that. Yeah, um, I'm getting a bit old for that now, though, <laughs> isn't it? You look like <laughs> the oldest swinger in town. Uh, obviously, hopefully, um, looking down a sort of a, a very bright future for Formula One. But in a way, we're lucky to have you because you weren't interested in motorsport really at all. You you love football, and then you went to the British Grand Prix in '87. Uh, I can't remember the exact year. Um, I would like to say 97 or even... <laughs> 2007. <laughs> 2007. It was a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went with my dad. Uh, my dad used to watch it. Um, and on and, and actually, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm referring to when I say that, that the international feed hasn't really changed much since, since them days. It was just cars going round in circles. And I actually thought it looked dull as dishwater. I thought it looked awful. Um, and I used to watch it and I used to think, well, you know, he's the boss, he pays the bills, so I can't really turn the TV over. Um, but then when, when I was about, I think I was about 11 or something like that, and, and he said to me, um, do you want to come to the British Grand Prix? Um, so we went to the British Grand Prix and we, we camped out. Um, the, the, well, the, the, it's a true story. We actually 
we camped out in the in the centre section um, behind. I think it was probably Alan Dockin's trucks, where the where the old runway was in the middle, um, the Formula Three trucks, because he'd paid for the entry for a Thursday, um, and that's <laughs> we couldn't afford the rest of the weekend. So I still owe Silverstone and or the BRDC um, the money for for stealing into the British Grand Prix that year. I think it was 1988. So so we, we'll do it at 1988 price, prices if I have to pay actually. <laughs> Well, <laughs> because you, I think you you snuck into the pits, and was that was that what changed it? Because obviously before then you didn't Formula One was, was boring and not that interesting. So was it getting kind of up close to the cars and yeah. that's what did it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I can, I can remember um, it was I, I guess it was the Friday free 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 practice, um, and I can remember walking into to the circuit at the woodcut corner um, and, and going between the grandstands and coming out onto this grass verge, and the Formula One practice was on. And it was just a visceral experience for me. It really was, um, you know. The the, uh, the 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 one car I can I can really remember is is, is the McLaren. Um, that was the you know whatever cars come past first. The one that I can I can actually remember is that is that um, 1988 McLaren. And as it come past and the noise of it, and it just blew me away. And I thought, oh my God, what is this thing? You know what I mean? <laughs> how, how have I missed this for the last 11 years? Um, and yeah, then later on, we we kind of stole across into the when the, when the session finished, we we ran across the track, um, and then stole into the pits as well. And um, we we were just about to get thrown out um, by by the security. It was a lot easier to get in and about than it was. We were just about to get thrown out, and um, this Leighton house mechanic came up and he and he kind of said, um, "Oh no, no, these, the security guard was actually." Th- physically thrown us out he said no no they're, they're my guests we were like oh are we <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went in I'd like to meet that guy um, I think he'll be a few years older now obviously um, but he took me in and, and he kind of just showed me and me and my dad the, the, the cars and I was just blown away I wanted to be a Formula 1 engineer from that point because you, you then went on to you worked at RS Karting on the weekends then you did your mechanical engineering and then after that you went to M Sport and did the sort of suspension and quite a lot of work on the RS Cosworth. Um, you had quite an interesting sort of taxi ride, as it were, with one of the rally drivers there. That sort of yeah. made you do a slight rethink of your calculations. Yeah, that's that's a good story. That I, I don't know whether that one's been been told as many times as the other ones. Um, yeah, it was. So, so I was working for a guy called Mike Pilbeam, um, and I and I owe Mike an absolute debt of gratitude for 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 giving me what was my first proper start really in 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 motor racing. Uh, Mike taught me a lot. I mean, taught me engineering practices that I still use today. Um, and and we had, we won the project for to it was the first um, Group A rally car. So it was the first um, world rally car. So it was when when Malcolm Wilson went from the Escort um, Group A to the to the world rally car. So, so Mike won the contract to design all the suspension and um, I think the roll cage and the engine installation, which which I, I basically did all of that when I was about 22 years old. I wouldn't let me as a 22-year-old... <laughs> I was going to ask whether looking back... Loose on a dinky toy, never mind the World Rally car. Um, so so I, I started to sketch it out and because I'd done a few touring cars at that point. Um, and Mike had a look at it and Mike's a, you know, he's a real wily engineer and he came out and he went, yeah, I don't think that's going to be strong enough. And I went, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I've done my calculations, you know, I've, I've stressed it all out. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go, we'll go up to Cockermouth and we'll have a look at how these cars um, operate. You know, I was used to track racing at that point. So we went up there. Kankinen was driving and we did a test there. And I think Mike somehow wangled it with Malcolm that I would sit in with 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 you, Kankinen. So, so I sat in this car 
um, and we did about 10 kilometres round, um, round the forest and come back. And um, as I jumped out of the car, I think I probably vomited first <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of looked at Mike and went, yeah, I better get back and do the <laughs> redo all that suspension. <laughs> but you, you, you carried on doing sort of passenger rides with some of the drivers you engineered, because didn't you do a passenger ride with Fernando at Spa? Yeah, yeah. And that, again, I think was obviously well, very helpful for you. It, it was massively helpful because, um, you know, uh, that, w that was probably only a few years after that when I became Fernando's um, race engineer um, in what was the Benetton Junior team. And I... Um, I think it was all born from from really from from that that ride from with 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 Kankanen in in the forest, and I got really quite into trying to understand how the how the driver you know what his driving style was and what the nuances were, which you can never spot from the data. It's very very difficult. I mean, we have more sensors now on on the car, but back then it was it was pretty difficult to spot. And and I think we'd done about two or three races with Fernando, um, and it was still quite difficult to understand him. Um, first of all, because he didn't speak much English, <laughs> so that, that was a bit of a barrier. Um, but but also because um, it, it was just you know it was just difficult for him to convey what what he wanted from the car and, and how he drove the car. And so we went to Spa, and the guy who owned the team was a guy called Mickey Van Hool, and and Mickey um, he he hired a, a BMW um, touring car. It was a rear wheel drive touring car. I can't quite remember what model it was. And it had a passenger seat in, and I jumped in that with Fernando. And from that, I understood completely. Um, you know, it was just 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 to sit next to him and just watch him, watch him drive, and understand exactly what he wanted out of the car. And I've always been an engineer that is very um, sympathetic. I think with with the driving, with with what the driver needs out of the car as well. You know, there's a certain point where you've got to say this is what it is, and you've got to drive around it. Um, but I think there's always a lot you can do with a driver. Um, to get to the point where you've actually engineered the car around them rather than got them to change their driving style. And I still do it now, you know, when I watch my boys go go-karting, go um, you know, and the kids in the team. I, I, and they've all got slightly different driving styles, you know, and, and all the dads are like, oh, well, this is, this, is, this is the way you have to set the car. And I say, no, no, you have to, you have to set the car to be sympathetic with, with how, how your son or daughter drives, drives the car. So I've, I've always been really quite into that. You'd, you did some sports car stuff and the rally stuff with Mike Pillbeam. You did the touring car stuff with Williams, then you got into Formula 3000 with so the Astro Mega Benetton Junior team with Fernando. It was only a second season of car racing. How aware were you, how quickly, of how good he might be? Oh, 100%. 100%. I think from the very first test we did. Um, when he turned up and no one knew who he was. Yeah, when he turned up and no, no and, one knew. And couldn't speak any English. And couldn't speak <laughs> any English, yeah. So, so he turned up at, at Barcelona with. Um, um, with with an old, with an old um, Ferrari, Nicky Lauda's old mechanic from from Ferrari called Emano Quaggi, and I don't know what's happened to to Emano uh, uh, these days. Um, and he kind of was the translator for for Fernando, um, but there was also a little bit of Chinese whispers between Emano's uh, between what Fernando was saying and what I was hearing. <laughs> um, and uh, Adrian Campos, he turned up with Adrian yeah. Campos as well, who was who was then his manager, and. I think uh, I can't remember all the details of the story as, as to how Fernando actually got 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 in the car. But we had a we had a, our our number one driver at that point was a guy called Fabrice Wolfish, who I think had done quite well in Formula Three Thousand the year before, um, and he was going to be engineered by the team's chief engineer, a guy called Chris Murphy. Um, 
so we were then on the on on the search on the lookout for um, the second driver, and somehow through the through through the Benetton link and the Telefonica link, um, and and Flavio Briatore, um, Fernando turns up on the doorstep, and I, I can't remember what they used to pay back in them days, but it was probably some nominal fee that he had to pay for the drive, and the team manager said, "Oh, your driver tomorrow is is this young Spaniard called Fernando Alonso." So I went and had a chat with him and shook his hand and you know he, he was I was much younger at the time obviously um, he was a baby I think he was either 17 or 18 or something like that um, and he um, so we kind of got him ready and we did a little bit of a seat fit on the night and forgive me I can't remember the, who the, the driver the day before was he got in the car and and what my job there that weekend was was to evaluate the, the two or three drivers or that week of testing in Barcelona was to evaluate these two or three drivers um, who we were going to see who would be the number two driver. Um, and I was going to report back to, to, to Chris um, Murphy, who was the chief engineer, and tell him, you know, yeah, we found a suitable number two, can play shotgun to your, your number one superstar. <laughs> <laughs> You're guessing where this story's going. So, so we put him in the car, and we had some old knackered set of tyres on, and we had a benchmark, um, which we'd said to him, right, this is your benchmark, because this is what we did in qualifying this year with new tyres, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we hadn't got anywhere close to that in, in the in the one or two days previous. And he jumped in the car with scrub tyres on, first time in a Formula 3000 car, and went about half a second quicker than that lap. And I thought, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and when you look at his lap times... Um, you think, well, the track's gripped up or there's something wrong. When you look at his lap times, he's, he's right at the top. And then we stuck another set on and um, another set of new tyres and he immediately found the grip, which is a, which is a clear sign of, of an incredible talent of somebody that age. He immediately finds the new tyre grip, extracts all the grip out of him, goes about a second and a half faster again. <laughs> so so we we used to have a, fa a, a, a fax in the truck back in them days. You didn't have mobile phones. So I had to phone back to base to, to Chris Murphy and he said to me, you, you know Chris, don't I you? do, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So he said, how is he then, Robert? Uh, we found a driver. <laughs> he does sound a bit like that as well, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, we've had, you know, we've had a couple of no-hopers in the, in the car um, the last two days, and we've got another one here, Chris, as well, in this uh, <laughs> Fernando Balonzo, but um, we'll take him for next year, and I'll play number two shotgun to <laughs> <laughs> But when, because you obviously, you, were, you then went on to engineer Felipe, um, but at one point, obviously, Felipe's teammate was Fernando, at Ferrari, was anything you knew of Fernando from those Formula 3000 days useful as Felipe's engineer? Because you, you must have <laughs> known him a lot better than most of his kind of opposing engineers, I guess. Yeah, well, well I guess so, a little bit. Just, just, just about how, how quick he was. Um, you know, we, we kind of went through the same cycle with, with Felipe um, as we, with Fernando as, as we had done with, with, with Michael. So, so with Michael... I think Felipe's number one priority was for, from the immediate outset in 2006 that he was going to beat Michael and he had to beat Michael. Um, and, and when I became his engineer, um, one of the, the, the key things that I was able to do for him was to kind of say, well, let's set our targets a little bit lower because trying to beat, <laughs> I think he had seven world championships at that point. In fact, yeah, he did have, he was 2006, was it? So, yeah. so, so, so expecting to beat your seven times world champion teammate in season one, bit of an ask. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we just knock the targets down here and then we can start to chip away at it. Um, and actually, um, it was it was undoubtedly the, the best um, 
way of dealing with that situation, you know, of, of, of setting the targets lower and then and then building up to it. But by the time Fernando stepped in the car, Felipe was already established as being, you know, he was vice world champion. He was one point away from it and from, from being actual world champion. He was seriously quick. He was winning races. He was pole position. Um, and when Fernando came back, it was that was then a little bit more difficult for him to kind of assimilate in, in, in his mind and think, right, well, I am going to take a step back and lower my targets to, to try to get to get near this guy. Um, so Fernando's just a really, really difficult um, teammate to be because, because and, and you see it in Lewis now, it's the consistency. So there's times when, when, you know, this year when you see flashes of brilliance from Valtteri where he's clearly, um, he's quicker than Lewis. There's no doubt about it. But to do that over 21 races and to do that, you know, over the 21 times five sessions or whatever it is during a weekend, that is a big, big ask. Um, that is a big ask, and it's a big ask with Fernando as well because he's just, even on his bad days, he's good. The, the thing that always used to strike me looking at a race history chart at the end of a Grand Prix with Fernando and you know, others as well, but just every single, you know, the, the, the lap times are so similar all the way from start to finish if the car's supposed to be doing that he's within a tenth of that all the time yeah you know, um whereas with felipe all due respect to him a great racer you know you'd get a bit of that but then suddenly there'd be a you know, what's that you know his four tenths gone missing for some somewhere then he'd get back to where he should be yeah and montoya was the same as well you know lots and lots of brilliance but just then these occasional little erratic peaks and troughs but i think i think that's the sign of 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 a true great the greats the greats all do that they'll, they'll just hit their marks every single uh, lap and 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 the reason why they're doing that um, is 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 the absolute key reason that makes them a, you know from a good racing driver to a really great one is that they're doing it with with eighty percent of capacity, so so a really good a really fast you know drivers you know even drivers who've become world champions um, can you know hit those you know hit their targets for five laps and then and then less so for for two laps, um, and that's because they're operating at, at ten tenths. Whereas the really great drivers, you know, you listen to them in in the car and they're they're hitting their targets, you know, 66 laps out of 66. Um, but they've also got a lot of capacity to do other things, which is why you know it's always the the, the cream who comes to the top in in the wet because as soon as there's something to think about and they have to you know understand the conditions and understand how much grip there is and where the grip is and where the line is um it's those it's those drivers who have that capacity who've been driving around at 85% and have another 15% you know when things get really really tough that the, the, they're the ones who, who always come out on top uh, there's actually there's a question here from uh, 122MR it sounds like a private number plate but um <laughs> Just re relating to Fernando, uh, Mr. Smedley, uh, do you believe that Alonso is a divisive figure who places crippling pressure upon his team? I've heard you answer similar questions before, but if you could please elaborate, I think many motorsport viewers would be intrigued. That might be Fernando actually calling in on the, on the phone yeah. uh, before you answer it. Don't you say anything bad about me. We'll, we'll ignore the phone ringing. Um, on you go. Um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think he's a d divisive figure. Um, I really like him. Um, I, I really like him personally. I think he's a he's he's a good guy. He he is um ruthless in his ambition to win. Um and of course he wants that to be him that that wins. Um and he deserves it as well. I mean his talent and 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 his greatness um you know I think uh, allow him to to behave um you know very in in a very self-centered way. And and I think all, all great sportsmen are to a certain extent they have to be self-centered. 
you know the the, the nice guy is is not always the guy that wins um so so i do you know and 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 if i can say he's non-divisive after after sitting on on the other side of the garage to him um i think that's that's a fairly um resounding answer that he is probably non-divisive you know he, he he wants what he wants um he understands what he wants in order that he can win and in order that he can execute upon on, on what he needs to do and he will do absolutely everything in his power to be able to do that um but I think he, he rather than d divisive, he, he can he can be ha actually quite quite a cohesive um, figure within the team because he's he's one of those people like like Michael, different personality, different way of doing things, um, but in the end brings about that cohesion of 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 seven hundred, nine hundred, fifteen hundred people all heading you know in one direction. And when you have somebody at the front of of you know, in, in in a leadership position, which the drivers have to be to a certain extent, who is fearless, like Fernando is utterly fearless about things. Um, and also, uh, you know, another characteristic of a great leader is that, that they are um, essentially a, an optimist as well. You know, and Fernando is, is both of them things. He would never go into a race thinking, I, I'm worried about this and, and I'm worried about that and, and, and how are we going to do it? He's like, you know, right, time's done now, right? Let, let's just get the car on the grid and I'm going to wring its neck and, and if we can nick this race win, we will do. And I've seen him do that lots of times in Ferrari, you know, and I think that's more, you know, it's it's much more cohesive than it, than it is, is divisive. You know, I mean, a car underneath you where you get in and he sees those opportunities and he's ruthless about them and he goes out and wins races for you, um, you know, all right, for the other driver and, the, and, and his team... It's not always nice, um, but but for the overall good of the team, you know, he's Fernando's been great. You work quite closely with Michael Schumacher as a test engineer at Ferrari. You work closely with Fernando, obviously, as his former 3000 engineer. He worked against him from the opposite side of the Ferrari garage. But just the key, what, what are the key differences between Michael, if there are many, between Michael and Fernando, about the way they go about the job, or went about the job? Uh... Well, I mean, they, they, they do have very different personalities. Um, you know, F Fernando is much more <coughs> overtly ruthless and ambitious, um, which is not a bad thing, you know, you, because he's always someone who, who, who you know where 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 he stands. Um, Michael was probably um, much more of a... I, I would say Michael was, was, was more gracious in in the way that he you know would always 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 go around and thank each and every um person in the team almost certainly all the test team certainly all the racing team and whenever he come to the factory you know he would make his rounds there um after each and every win you know and it was always it was always quite a heartfelt gratitude you know it wasn't something that he thought well i should do and then they'll keep giving me a better car um it it was always a really heartfelt gratitude that he would go around and a very very humble gratitude as well that that you know I'm I'm just kind of the the, the last bit of the jigsaw. It's you guys who are who, who are doing it all because without you guys, you know, th there's no way that I would be able to have all of these, you know, medals and accolades and all the rest of it. So he was he was, um, you know, Michael. If if anything during his driving career, um, was was probably a little bit less self-assured than Fernando. Fernando knew what he wanted. He would go out, he would get it, he would extract what he needed and he would move on to the next thing. You know, what's what's the next thing? Never ever look back. Michael was probably just, you know, a slightly more, um, showed, showed a little bit more humility 
in in the way that he went about it. But both of them were were, were fairly ruthless, you know, and and both of them, especially when you got the helmet on, um, <laughs> you know, there's there's nobody more ruthless than Michael. <laughs> yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Because <laughs> you did it, obviously, a short spell at Jordan, and then you were sort of asked to stay on another year, but then you did go to Ferrari. Was that quite a big change for you? I mean, obviously, you know, putting aside the obvious Italian team, British team, um, because Ferrari was certainly that period so much more advanced, really, in so many ways. Was it was it a bit of a shock, or was it easily kind of? It was uh, it was a massive shock. I think um, it was you know it was it was nice to have to have to have cut my teeth in Formula One with a with a smaller team, um, a midfield team, if you like, um, and understand. You know the, the 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 bigger picture about Formula One and how it worked and 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 where the performance was and 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 how to go about just doing Formula One as an engineer. Um, stepping into Ferrari was just a complete different planet. It was a it, it was another planet, and and you thought, you know, my my initial thoughts were, you know, well, first of all, what have I been missing for for for, for all of this time in Formula One? But second, you know, there is a two-tier Formula One. It become very apparent in my first weeks there that there was there's a two-tier Formula Formula One, um, and these, these I'm definitely now with the haves. Um, and if you're going to do it properly, then then this is the way to do it properly. And then you set about, you know, just as, as I've always done in any situation, is just absolutely absorbing and soaking up as much information and and, and ways of doing things and ways of operating as as you can. So 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 the initial. Um, you know, let's say six months, even a year, was just about that. It was just about soaking it up and, and understanding how it worked and, and understand how to operate in, in, in a team that size, you know, a team of, of a thousand people rather than a team of, of 250 or 300, whatever we had at Jordan. How, how was it working for Eddie? There's um, always a pause or a smile after I ask that question. <laughs> D- different. <laughs> different. Uh, um, it, it's It's... It's it's no different to to, to when I see him now. Um, the man's a lunatic, an utter <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> um, he's definitely got a screw loose in the nicest possible way, you know. And he and and, he, and he's a pal and all the rest of it. But but my God, is he is he slightly deranged that man, you know? Um, and it was exactly the same when when, when I worked for him, you know. Um, he there was um, he's 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 slightly erratic um, in his decision making. Very very passionate. Absolutely loves the sport. Um, you know he, he absolutely adores it. Um, loves loves probably more the 
the the wheeling and dealing and and and, and getting things over the line. Um, but we we had a lot of fun, you know. It, it was a good team, um, and we had a lot of fun. And 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 we always uh, there's a, there's a phrase that I really dislike, which is which is punching above. Um, your weight or punching above our weight and it was always that was always Eddie's thing that we were punching above our weight I think that I, I don't think you can punch above your weight I think you can punch at your weight and then a lot of other people punch below their weight and I think that's probably what we were doing with Jordan we were we were hitting it and we were getting it spot on and that's and, and it's a team that's had a lot of you know if if you then fast forward through through the annals of history um, up to the you know recently with Force India it's always a team that's done very well for, for the amount of money that it, it's spent um, consistently, so it's kind of like a culture that that grew up there, but but the man himself, um, oh god, there's some good stories there. There's there's, there's lots go on of good then. stories. Go on. <laughs> We've got plenty of time. Um, I, 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 honestly, I don't know whether um, it, no, he'll kill me. He will kill me. He will kill me because because you can't get rid of him as well. I mean, you see him in public spaces, and he and he starts to, especially in airports and stuff. You know, you might be at a Grand Prix, and you're kind of making your way through the airport, and and in situations like that, unfortunately, um, people recognise you. And then Eddie comes up and makes, you know, the rest of the airport recognise you by just <laughs> shouting spurious things which aren't true about you. It's like, go in now, Eddie. <laughs> but, I mean, for all that, it is, it is remarkable. If you look at the way Formula One is now and how difficult, almost impossible it is for a, for a for, say, let's say for a GP2 level or F2 level team to just step up. We saw what happened in 2010 when the new teams came in. Yeah, they all struggled. I mean, he came in 91 on a wing and a prayer, wheeling and dealing, as you say. But from that, and from the verge of bankruptcy every other weekend, yeah. he created a winning team. He did, yeah. In time. It's, a, it's an amazing achievement. Yeah, it is. No, no, you can't, you can't take anything away from him. Um, and I think that, I think that he, I, I personally think that Eddie could have had much more success in Formula One than he actually did. Um, I think he could have got you know that team into into the the realms of McLaren. You know, it was his personal decision in the end that because because they spent an awful lot of money um, in those years. You know, that ninety eight ninety nine years to to, to get where, where where they needed to be. Um, relatively a lot of money. You know, not not the money that the top teams were spending, and they they took it to the top teams. You know, they were they, they were winning races, and I think in ninety nine were they third in the world championship. Or yeah, I mean, France was in contention for the title till yeah. late on. Yeah, until very late on. Exactly right. Um, and I think Eddie, that that's that's kind of where he wanted to get to. He wanted to get there, and, and he'd done that, and he'd kind of you know a a, a boy from 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 Ireland who'd you know who'd come from nothing and 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 had kind of got up there and was now part of the consignenti of, of Formula One, and I think at that point he kind of thought right okay that that's it that's enough because this is something that that can very easily now bankrupt me and all the wealth that that he'd, he'd managed to accrue up to that point, you know and it's his personal decision and, and, and good on him, um, but you know he kind of as he backed away from 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 the team. Um, somewhat, it definitely lost it, its impetus. It needed him as a leader because it was a team that had that plucky character and that wheeling and dealing and and, and you know you know maximising every opportunity. And and he was he was the he was the poster boy of of exactly all of those things. I, I want to talk about Felipe uh, quickly before because I must get through some of the readers' questions. But you're, you obviously when you were first at Ferrari, you you were working with Michael. How did the role come about, the role change to go to Felipe? Because it wasn't, it was at the beginning of the season, but it wasn't at the start of the season. It was, I think it was three Grand Prix in or something like that. Because you, you arrived for the German Grand Prix engineering. That's Felipe. right, yeah. 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 So, so why, the, why the change there? And uh, yeah, how did that happen? Well, I'd, um, what, what, what had happened um, was that 
when Felipe came into the um, came came to Ferrari in, in the in the winter, then I actually um, um, stood in and, and, and deputised for, for for the guy who was going to be his race engineer because because um, Gabriele Delicoli because his his wife was was heavily pregnant. So he stayed back in Maranello and I went out to Bahrain and, and, and lots of other places and, and engineered Felipe. Um, and we kind of hit it off um, at that point. Um, and I thought, you know, I didn't really think anything else, else of it, but he was, he was obviously happy with, with what I was doing. And then when, when, when Gabri came in, um, who's, who's a great guy, um, he's, he's a really good friend of mine, actually. Um, he's in Audi now and a very good engineer. You know, and this happens all the time. It's happened to to me as well. Um, is that you know the two personalities clash, and you just you just can't. Regardless of how good good an engineer you are, if you don't have that, if you don't click as a, as, a, as a pair of people, um, it's difficult that you're going to get on. And that and that's kind of what happened between Gabriele and and, and Felipe. Um, so around about after about four races or something like that, it all happened very quickly actually. Um, the um, I was going to say the team principal, but that, but he was actually called John Todd. We know that, don't you? My, my mind. <laughs> <laughs> we got that bit. Um, John and Ross spoke to me and said, um, w- "Was I would I be interested in in engineering um, Felipe?" Um, and I said, "Well, why and when?" And they said, "Well, when is um, we're getting on a plane tomorrow and going to Nurburgring." Um, and why? Because of the reasons that that I've just explained. So, um, I think I responded with something like, "Well, ca- can I have a little think about it?" Because I'm really enjoying my time on the test team, I, and I I was I, I loved the test team. I would still be a test engineer now if I could be. Um, and I said, "Well, can I have a little bit of think about it?" And like Jean kind of leaned forward in his chair and he said, "This is Ferrari, son." He said, "We don't think about these things." <laughs> <laughs> wasn't actually a question. <laughs> I said, right. Well, <laughs> better go home and get my passport then. <laughs> So, um, and that's how it kind of ended up, um, that's how I ended up uh, engineering him. And, and it, was, it was what I talked about before, it was, it was getting there, it was, you know, that, that was really the, the first time I'd seen him in, in quite a while because they disappeared off to, to Australia and then Bahrain and then wherever else. So I hadn't actually seen him for a few months and, and so I, I, I rocked up there on the Thursday. Um, he knew what was coming, um, so, and, and I went and just had a little chat with him and he was just incredibly nervous he was just so nervous and you know he just kept repeating to me that I'm going to get sacked I'm going to get sacked I've got to keep I've got to get better results I'm going to get sacked um and I said to him well you know there's a high probability of that (laughs) (laughs) does does that help um yeah it did because I mean it was kind of given in context that there's a high probability of that but here's the plan um to kind of to, to to go and try and stop that and to be honest, the, the the first thing we did, which is what I talked about earlier, was just say, look, what w- what is it? What what do you think you need to do this weekend? Well, I need to beat Michael. If I don't beat Michael, then 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 you know my weekend's finished. I said, no, no, we don't need to beat Michael. And in fact, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be appreciated because Michael is definitely going to be the one that's going to win the world championship this year. So if you go out and you beat Michael, believe me, it's not going to be that highly appreciated <laughs> within the team. <laughs> Might be appreciated back in your hometown of Sao Paulo, here in Ferrari, less so. Um, so we. Um, we kind of set about just just having you know softer targets, and he went through the weekend. He kind of changed, you know, through through Friday, and we got his car set up how we wanted it set up as well, which always helps. And he was really happy at the end of Friday. Um, Saturday he qualified quite well. I can't remember. And Sunday um, he finished 
third, which is his first ever podium in in, in Formula One. He finished third, and he and um, yeah, I can't remember the exact order. Michael won it. I know that, and he was third. And I and I always remember it is always a defining moment for me um, because it, you know Formula One is is not the most um, generous of spirited business in the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, it can be quite mean at times. Um, but you know and even when you're doing a good job it's difficult to understand if you're doing a good job from your bosses but I can remember jumping down from the pit wall and Ross who's a you know a, a big man um, give me a big bear hug and, and he said and, he, and it was words to the effect of I, I knew you'd be able to do it you know I knew you'd be able to turn this around and and it and it made me um, quite emotional at the time and then we just went on and we just had you know it, we just it was kind of just in the same vein of just right we know you're quick but he's all the things that you can't do and, and and we can help you with that. Um, we can definitely help you with that. Um, we can't help you to be quick, so th that's the good bit that you can do that. You know, the, the God or the big man above, whoever you believe in, um, give you that talent. The rest of it we can work on, and we did, and we just started to chip away at it all. How do, how do you contend with being Felipe Massa and the team very much centered around Michael? You know, because he'd, he'd won four world championships with them, or no, more than that, sorry, um, five world championships with them. It was very much his team, as you said. Don't go and meet him. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not going to be appreciated. Actually, you will probably be fired then. Um, <laughs> but he did go on to win some races. <clears throat> is that very difficult as an engineer and a driver, knowing that the team is really, you know, looking very much at the other side of the garage? Um, I think it's more so for the driver. Um, but but for me, I, I've never really found that that particularly difficult, you know. And 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 it was always very clear. I think I think with 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 most people in life, you 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 tend to get emotional about those things if it's not clear and it's done in some kind of you know surreptitious way. Um, if if things are clear from the outset that that you know we we need F Felipe if Michael's first, we need Felipe second, then you've got a, an objective job to do. You know, it's very very clear what you need to do. And and I personally feel feel no emotion about that whatsoever I, I feel quite proud that, that you can go out and, and do that job um you know you can't always be the bride you've got to be the bridesmaid on on, on some occasions in your career um but so i i you know and 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 when you do that you know also that your time will come because it, there was a you know later on in in his time at ferrari um kimmy came and again it was kind of a clear number one but without all the status that that, that felipe uh we, we, that, that michael had had sorry um, but but through sheer will and determination, Felipe was able to turn that round. So by 2008, the team had backed him, you know, was firmly behind him and wanted him to win the World Championship because he was the better driver. There's no doubt about it that year. He was the better driver. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of things that you can waste um, your time in, your time on in, in life and, and definitely life in, in Formula One. But politics and, and negative emotion and all the rest of it there's too many other important things to get on with than, than worrying about you know who's the bride and who's the bridesmaid I have to say I think one of the most gracious performances I ever witnessed in Formula 1 was Felipe Interlagos in 2008 just the way he dealt with the devastating disappointment of the world championship slipping through his fingers just in those final few seconds of the season I thought the way he handled that and the way he conducted himself on the podium the way he spoke afterwards was you know I think he probably gained more out of that. I mean, he became more of a... I think he was respected probably more for that than he would have been if he'd won the world title. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I don't think... I, I think that would a 
you know, would that extra point in a world championship have made any difference to his life? And, and him and I have had this conversation now. We've got a little bit older on many occasions. Um, so, so would that have changed anything in, in his life whatsoever? Um, you know, if he'd have gone on and then celebrated a, a world championship win rather than had he gone on and, and you know, shown everybody how, how gracious, how magnanimous he was in, in, in that moment. I don't think so. And I think, uh, I, you know, I tend to agree with Simon that it probably did him more good um, having having gone through that that very very near miss, um, but but come out of it probably a a better human being, um, you know, and, and and he's still a guy who's 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 super grounded, you know, he's 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 absolutely, um, you know, got his feet on the ground. He's he is uh, he's he's a very very normal guy. Um, who, who realizes that he's he's been given a talent and and he's you know he's used that he's using it to to the best of his ability. How, how difficult was it for you dealing with the events of two thousand and nine after his horrible accident and uh, practice mishap in in Hungary? Yeah, re- really difficult to be honest, and 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 I questioned whether or not I wanted to to carry on. Um, it was a big big question for me because you know y- you never set out. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I'm I'm the easiest person to to work with or, or for, um, and I don't just that's not my opinion. That's people <laughs> who I've worked with and for. Um, they say uh, you know I can be quite a taskmaster at times. Um, and at times, I mean, from about seven in the morning till about nine on the <laughs> night, and then after that, then go home and, and relax a little bit. Um, but um, I, I think, quite honestly, um, you know, uh, the, the backdrop there. What I'm trying to say is that I, I I don't go out to make make friends in 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 Formula One or at work. But what happened with with Felipe and I is is it was just very natural, you know, um, that that we became friends and we became good friends, and, and you know, we are you know the best of friends if you like so when he had that accident um it, it was very difficult because it, it become it was much more personal than just a professional thing and and to watch that and 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 to suddenly you know you, you're, you're so emotionally attached to that person that that when you see them you know they're they're almost killed at work you have to question what you're doing you know, and and I did for 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 quite a few weeks after that. I was I, I really had to do a lot of soul searching as to whether I I wanted to 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 continue to be involved in Formula One. Um, and I think if it was probably someone who I was less emotionally attached to, um, someone who wasn't a friend, a dear friend, then you kind of just move on, you know. And and that's that that's not meant to sound you know ruthless and harsh and, and in any or you know unempathetic in any way. It's just it's just a reality, and when you're emotionally attached, as I was with with to, to that situation, it was very difficult. And I did do a lot of soul searching over that summer, um, and you know I think helped definitely by his his speedy recovery. You know he was young and he was super fit and all the rest of it, so he did make a speedy recovery. Um, that that definitely helped. That that then I wanted to to carry on, and it's a sport that you know I, even after all of that, it's a sport that I love. And I think if we'd have lost him that day. Um, you know, perhaps the soul searching would have would have gone on a little bit longer, but but I still would have come back to it because I'm just so passionate about it and just love it so much. His recovery was sort of quite remarkable how quickly he was back out there. But I think you went to go and see him in the hospital, and he wasn't sort of too bright when you went to go and see him. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't too bright. Uh, so so first of all, he had a head like a a, a beach ball. Uh, which was a, a you know the, these shades of purple and black and blue. I, I've never seen anybody's head that big. Uh, um, 
and bless him, he was just a bit all over the place. So when we walked, so 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 his younger brother um, Eduardo picked me up from the from the airport because um, so, so I'd flown home I think when they'd taken him out of the the coma, and then I'd gone home to to Maranello to to be with my wife um, for. Um, a couple of days and then on the Thursday or Friday I flew back and he was actually out of intensive care and he was in his room um, but he was very he was he, he was super confused um, I mean I think at one point he wasn't really sure um, who I was um, and then when he kind of he said oh yeah you're, you're, you're the Ferrari guy aren't you and uh, and and he, he what he was what he was really keen on on, on conveying to me that he was going to be in the car in the next race and he was saying, you know, the, I've got like my mum here and my wife, and I think his wife was was pregnant with with uh, Filipino, their son at the time. Um, so his mum was there and his wife was there, and they were obviously, you know, fussing around him and saying, well, you're going to need six months out. And and in his mind, um, I'm not sure we'd have been able to get a helmet big enough for him, <laughs> but in his mind, he was going to be in the car in the next few days. <laughs> Princess Yachts, the UK's leading luxury yacht manufacturer. Pride sponsors of Motorsports Formula One coverage. When we sat down as a group and, and looked at the brief originally, um, foiling kind of jumped out as, a, as an option. Traditionally, hydrofoils on powerboats have just been static and they've, they've, they've helped to increase the efficiency slightly. These not only do that, they're, they're active, so they, they help control the roll and pitch of the boat and make the boat not only more comfortable, but, but safer and easier to drive. We are on the cusp here, I think, of changing the direction of the boat industry. AFS works in conjunction with a reimagined hull concept. Low transfer immersion brings higher efficiencies at cruising speeds. Foil lift replaces transom volume, allowing top speeds to still be achieved. Foils automatically deploy and retract flush with the hull. The foils rake fore and aft, varying the angle of attack Port and starboard foils are controlled independently. Onboard sensors and a dedicated processor calculate the optimum foil position 100 times per second. Foil position is actively controlled, reacting to the boat state, improving comfort, stability and safety with modes selected by the skipper. The, uh, I read Simon, Simon's piece that he did with you the lunch with and there's a lovely bit in that about the 2008 Monaco pole lap. Um, and Felipe, obviously, when you first started working with him, said, I'm just not very good at Monaco. Um, but being an engineer, you obviously didn't quite accept that. Just tell, tell us a little bit about that Monaco pole lap. So it was, it, it, well, it, you've got to go back to, to, to a few years. It's 2006, really, and we went, we went to Monaco, um, and we were, we, were, we were getting quite on song by that point, by the time we, we got to Monaco. I think we'd had a few half-decent results. And he said, you know, he was a lot more relaxed than himself, and he said, look... Um, I, I think we were going to be able to do this, you know. I think that, um, you know, I, I can I can see a, a path of of us getting better and better. But one thing is, I, I can't drive around here. I'm just rubbish. Um, <laughs> good attitude, great positive ingoing attitude. Um, so I said, fine, you know what I mean. It's kind of uh, there's probably 18 races back then, so so we're doing 17 out of 18 kind of thing. Um, and then when we went there and we looked at it. Um, then, in fact, his lap times were pretty appalling. They were rubbish. Um, but when when you actually pieced it all together, which we were doing during the weekend, and you looked at it, you thought, he's not rubbish at all. He just can't put a lap together around here. In fact, if you take all the corners, if you, if you 
dig really dig into the data and you go through it all and understand it all and you compare it to Michael, um, he was, you know, within, you know, a, a tiny margin of, of, of Michael's speed. So you think, right, well, well, it's not like that at all. You know, you've got it, you've got it totally wrong. So when we come out the Monaco weekend, we had a, we had a lot of um, soul searching and going through reports with him and going through data, and he kind of like got it. And we said, right, next year when we go there, we're going to have a better plan. So we went there the next year, um, and he was much more confident. He kind of said, yeah, well, you know, we, we'll we'll see how it goes. But by the end of the weekend, he was much more confident. And I can't remember the result, but definitely in in qualifying, he was rather than being like a, a second or so off Kimmy, he was like two tenths. And then for the next year we kind of understood what to do with the car as well. So it was like, a we're not very quick. We had like a three-year project of like actually getting it right in Monaco. Um, so we went there the next year with, with the car and he was just immediately on it straight away. Um, and there was one bit that he couldn't get right, which is probably in, in, in your piece, Simon, there was one bit that he couldn't get right all the way through through quali and it was Sandoval. Um, and the rest of it, he was just absolutely killing Kimmy. Um, but he couldn't get Sandoval right. And because he couldn't get Sandoval right, he wasn't getting Casino right because he wasn't getting enough temperature in the tyres. And so we looked at it after the first qualifying and he was just braking far too early. I said to him, you're braking too early, you've got to brake later. Um, uh, no, this is, as this is as late as it will brake. You know, this is as late as I can brake and, and if I don't, then I'm going to lock the fronts. I said, you won't lock the fronts. We can see, we, we can, we can, I can tell you from, from looking at the data and looking at the mainly the 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 the, the slip angle and, and and the yaw velocity, um, and just the the general margin to, that we had of, of of grip of available grip, you're not going to lock the fronts. So we went through the first qualifying like that and the second qualifying, and he was kind of like inching forward by like three centimeters at a time and thinking that you know he was the bravest man on on, on earth. <laughs> and, and and this is where I get quite difficult to work with sometimes. I kind of just lost my rag, so I took my radio off and went over to him just before Q3 and got hold <coughs> of him and did a bit of effing and jeffing um, and told him that in no uncertain terms um, that that what I, I would have expected from him in San Devore at the very next lap, <laughs> which was Q3. Um, and you could see he just thought, you know, fuck you, nobody, <laughs> I, I'm not having this, that he's talking to me like this. And and, and when we talk about subsequently, um, what he was going to go, go out, he was going to go out and he's going to prove me wrong because he was going to break at San Devore where I was telling him to and go straight on and, and you know, and break the car. And that was going to show me. <laughs> 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 and he went out and he stamped on the brake pedal about 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 25 meters later and then thought oh fuck it's gone in <laughs> got around the corner and up the hill <laughs> about three tenths of <laughs> on where he'd been before yeah. whatever yeah. And, and put it on pole yeah and put it on pole <laughs> I mean, they love it I mean I, I remember the thing about that was him coming into the press conference room afterwards and he was just looking absolutely bewildered, as though, as, as, as though he didn't understand how that had just happened. I mean, it's his fault, but it's, uh, but it, 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 but it was lovely because I mean, the whole press room is a bit of a cynical place, as you know, and you know the whole place you know, applauding and clapping him, and he just looked completely. I mean, he looked ecstatic, but befuddled as well. It was lovely. Now, uh, just before we go on to the questions, uh, I want to talk about Williams as well, but. Um, your kind of Ferrari relationship, I guess one of the lowest points was 2010, and Fernando is fast than you, that sort of infamous, well now famous phrase. Um, it's been talked about so much, but I just wanted to kind of hear from you, because really overnight, you were, you, know, you were always known within the motor racing circle, um, and everyone knew who you were, what you did. 
But overnight, you were suddenly catapulted from that um, to everyone knowing who you were. I mean, you were in tabloids, you were in newspapers, everything. Um, that must have been quite difficult. It must have been a difficult call to make as well. It was the anniversary of the Hungarian accident as well, I think, wasn't it? Or more or less a year, a year on. So it was, yeah. uh, it was just difficult in every possible way. Yeah, it was. And, and, and you know, uh, you know, if you, if you could have your time again, would I change anything? I don't know. Um, did did it, did I behave impeccably on that day? No, absolutely not. Did did it did 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 we all you know as as, as a team of you know that the, the senior members of the team did any of us in behave impeccably? No, uh, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, the, the the I think I think the actual incident is 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 reasonably well known and well recognised. But but you're quite right. It's a good point to pick up on because it kind of you know I went from being as you say you know pe people knew who I was within within the motor racing fraternity and you've kind of you know uh, <laughs> you you well recognized within that with that demographic but then kind of I remember the next day my sister-in-law calling my wife and saying oh my god Robbie's on radio 1 radio 2 <laughs> radio 4 <laughs> and I was on all the news bulletins and 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 uh you know and, and and it just kind of it it went a bit it went a bit crazy afterwards um and it wasn't a particularly nice time either, and, and I didn't want to. It wasn't something. It's not something that I've ever courted or or, or wanted, if you like, wanted. Um, you know, the 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 bit of reflected fame or whatever you know comes with 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 this job. It's just something that I find a bit weird. Um, but but definitely after that, it kind of went into a little bit into overdrive, and and I retreated as well because of that because I didn't want to. I, I wanted to just get away from it. I didn't I didn't like it at all. It was something that that I'm not. Um, but you know, ha having to deal with that afterwards was 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 quite hard, and it was quite hard for the team. Um, it was quite hard for all of us in in, in the team. Um, you're right. There was there was you know, with with it being the anniversary of of, of Budapest when he had his accident, um, there was a lot of emotion attached to it, and you know, people are always going to take sides. So there was Fernando fans, and there was Felipe fans, and 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 the I world like Formula split. One fans to take sides, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's never happened all, before. All, all we need to do is mention Senna and Prost on our website, and the whole thing explodes. Yeah, yeah. breaks the website. Um, yeah, so so it was kind of the, there was there was a lot of fallout and a lot of aftermath and but but you know what um, I, I I can remember at the time um, talking you know Jean Todd was was already gone and and, and I did have um, a little bit of a of a conversation with him about it and and he was he was ever so good and and and, and he said look it won't break you it'll make you stronger. Um, and and he was dead right, you know, um, because I think after that, you know, you, you kind of get thick skinned in, in Formula One. But I think after that, I just became all skin. That <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's we must ask some of these readers questions um, in no order at all. Um, there's a guy here called Matt. Uh, Matt, thank you for using your your real name. Uh, well, it, may, it might not be. Um, I have two questions. Uh, thanks for coming in. Why didn't Ferrari change the traffic light refueling system in 2008? before the disaster of Singapore, as Valencia could have got Massa penalised for an unsafe release also. So there's that part. And then uh, he's a big fan of yourself and Felipe. Um, what do you think was his best race and also your best engineering performance race? Oh, I tell you what, Matt gets his money's worth, doesn't he? That's <laughs> 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 three questions. Um, so, so why didn't we change the... It's a really good question. And I... And I um, 
not personally proud of that of that 2008 season because I think we threw it away rather than McLaren winning it. Um, and and why did that happen? It's 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 a good question and a valid question. And there's there's a lot of other you know technical questions along along exactly the same lines that I ask myself all the time about 2008. And I think the reason was because we were going through a period of transition. You know, we'd had this massive amount of stability with um you know with with Ross heading up the technical team um Nigel Stepney you know as the as as the chief mechanic you know big figures like that who'd kind of guided the whole thing along um Ross went off on his his sabbatical um in in 2007 um Nigel you know famously fell out with the team and and, and all the rest of it and there was other big big characters there where, where it kind of lost, we, we lost that stability that we'd had for so long in Ferrari, um, and 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 with it, with losing that stability, um, there's things that, that that fall through the cracks. So when you look at it, you know Singapore um, was was an absolute disaster. Would that have happened if if Ross was still there? Probably not, because he would have picked up on on the Valencia thing. That's a really good spot. You know, he would have picked up on Valencia and said, "We need to we need to make changes um, to that system." Would we have would we have blown an engine up in Budapest? Yeah, possibly. You know, if, if if Ross was there, possibly not because we were pushing a little bit harder and taking less care of of reliability and more just out and out performance. Um, you know, would would Felipe have spun in um, Malaysia and beached it on the curb when he was in second position and thrown away eight points, which is you know w- was a huge amount of points. Um, if Ross was there, probably not because he would have. Um, you know, he probably would have got on the on the radio at some point and and told him to, you know, just to get get home in second. So so basically, what I'm doing, Matt, in a very long winded way, is, is saying that it's Ross's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, don't sack me. <laughs> then the the second part of his question was um, Felipe's best race and your best race engineering performance. Uh, I, I've I've honestly got. Um, so, so, so his his best race, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, was the 2008 um, Brazilian Grand Prix, and it wasn't just that two hours on the Sunday afternoon either. It, it was it was kind of the whole weekend where he was just absolutely untouchable, impeccable. Um, you know, it was Lewis was was a different driver back then. He was a younger driver, and and he he obviously didn't have the wherewithal that he's got now. Um, but but definitely, we went there knowing that it was kind of Mission Impossible. Um, and and what we were going to do the only the only way that we were going to make it mission possible was just by putting a massive amount of pressure on on them. Um, and he did that. You know, he was totally relaxed all weekend. He was visibly relaxed, um, even though he he may not have been visibly relaxed on on the inside. Um, and we went out and we were fastest in all the practice sessions. We were fastest in qualifying. You know, Lewis was back in fifth or or sixth or something like that. During the race, it was a very, very difficult race. It was a difficult race to call as well from a race engineering point of view because it was wet, dry, it was damp, you know, intermediate, then full wet, then it was back to slick. And he was absolutely impeccable all the way through. Um, and, and, and we got all the calls right as well, all the way through, you know. And it's, and it's very it's very seldom um, you watch any Grand Prix and you dissect the calls, even with Mercedes now, who I would, you know, I would rate as a great team. They are a great team, but you watch their calls throughout a Grand Prix. They won't get every single call right. For you to get 100% of the calls right during a Grand Prix is something quite special. So, so maybe that one, maybe, maybe that one is, is my um, best performance as a race engineer as well. Uh, we've got one uh, here from Emily. Um, 
this this might be interesting in light of what you've been doing over the last year. What, what are your views on the 2021 regulations? Because from what I hear, uh, the, the the initial thought was great, but they have been somewhat diluted since. Um, no, I don't think so. I think that um, where, where we've got to now, they will get diluted once we once once they're handed over to the teams. Um, but I, I personally think that they're a, they're a really good step forward. You know, the biggest problem that we've got in Formula One in terms of the close racing, in terms of that wheel to wheel racing, is um, the the fact that that the cars have a have an have an outwashing wake, and and so the car behind is is heavily affected. So within um, when when you're about half a second behind, which is which is about the the distance that you need, you know, for the, for this wheel to wheel or, or or to affect the pass. When you're about half a second behind, the car behind um, loses around about forty percent of its downforce. So so it, it's kind of goes from a Formula One car to a to a to a Formula Two car. Um, so so it's 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 very very difficult then for the driver behind to follow closely and to and to make that work. Um, We've got a car alarm going on. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's nicking Alan's car, and I, I can actually see Alan walking to the window. Yeah. He's quite precious about his car. I, there's a small part of me that desperately hopes that. It, oh, I, I because any any pin drop when you're doing TV and 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 the sound engineer is usually he's he's vomited all over the carpet and he's just not happy. I thought that's what Alan was interested <laughs> no, in. No, no, Alan was interested in his car. car. Yeah, Doesn't yeah. care about this. Yeah. Is, that, is that your Lambo outside? <laughs> My son was well impressed with it. <laughs> Looks impressed now, didn't he, on his iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got we've got time for a couple more questions. Um, there's there's so SXS um, is the name of the person. Got to be careful how I say that. Um, he's or she uh, has written in a, a whole kind of essay. So I'm afraid we're we're only going to be able to take a fifth of of what we got here. Um, one of them is when working with drivers, how aware do you think they are of the difference between what feels subjectively fast? And what is actually fast on the stopwatch? With being so being a really rubbish amateur racer, I'll go out and think, "God, that was that was really good." And then I come in and I look at the time machine. Oh no, it wasn't. <laughs> so it's obviously on a different level to that. But I, I can see where he's or she's coming from. Right. Um, so so I think that I, I think that we're we're so objectively and, and, and data driven now, and that's pushed so far into the in, into the driver's psyche as well. That um, I I I don't I think they have a really good feeling, especially Formula One drivers, because they've done it for so long of, of of what feels good and and what feels bad. But the other, you know, the big cheat that they've got is is it tells them you know how they're doing on their steering wheel. So so on their they'll have a, a reference lap, and and as they you know as they they're completing whatever lap it is that that the the lap that they're on will be will it will be giving them a time feedback. Um, with reference to their fastest lap, so they'll know whether they're a tenth up or a tenth down or whatever. And I guess that that having that type of tool set um, teaches them to be quite objective about things. So, so, so when they, you know, when when they get a feeling, a subjective feeling of a corner that feels fast, then they back that up with with the stopwatch, with an instantaneous stopwatch, which is, which is on their steering wheel. Um, and and so you kind of get to feel, you know, very very quickly as to what's good and what's bad. Simon, I'll, I'll hand over to you for the last question, but we've, we've got one here from Boris. Uh, I don't think Boris Johnson, but it is quite direct, so <laughs> maybe. Uh, hi, Rob. Is Claire Williams in over her head? Uh, or if that's too rhetorical, could someone like Toto Wolff turn things around at Williams, or is their F1 team past the point of no return? Obviously, you spent some very successful years at Williams. Um, 
and scored plenty of podiums with Felipe and things like that. What what's happened is the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah, there's always light at the end of the tunnel, hundred um, percent. You know, there's there's you know Claire Claire herself. You know, when when I chat to her, um, she she understands that you know that that things aren't great. It's it's that that's a bit of an understatement, um, and you know that that they need to turn it around. Now, doing that, um, saying that, and doing that are two very, very different things. Um, it's 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 a difficult, difficult job. You know, the 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 issue that that everybody's facing at Williams now is that is that even you know the next worst team um, is still a very, very good team. I can't remember who came ninth in the in the World Championship this year. Um, no, don't no. don't test us like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me a question about 1974 or something. Yeah. Much easier. Yeah. Formula Ford or <laughs> Formula 3000. Anything from Formula 3000. Yeah, but but whoever it was, um, and forgive my knowledge, um, it was a team that that still had a handful of points, and it was a team that was still a second faster than than, than Williams. Um, you've got to, you know, when you're in that situation, you can't concentrate on any one thing because it's never one thing. It will be an absolute. Um, myriad of, of of different things, and and there's no silver bullet, and you've just got to look at right across your operation, um, you know, from 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 technical all the way to marketing, and 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 to make sure that that no stone is 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 left unturned, you know, and go through your business and and understand what it is, you know, where where are the big ticket items, what do I need to do, who do I need to, you know, where, where do I need to to strengthen. And and just start getting on with it, you know, and and have a plan. That that's the main thing in in life, you know, not just in Formula One, but in life. Have have a strategic vision of of what you're trying to do. Um, so that's where what you know, if my, my advice to Williams would be would be exactly that, you know, have a plan and start to action that plan. Simon, throw the last question to you. Okay, it's very 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 kind of you. Um, going back to pet subject, Felipe Massa. He's still running competitively now in Formula E, and he you know, he had some very strong races post Budapest 2009. Was he the same driver, 100% after the accident that he'd been beforehand? Yeah, technically, yeah, yeah, technically and speed-wise, definitely. Um, he 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 got a teammate that that was just too difficult to 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 handle. Um, the dynamic of the team had changed. You know, he stepped out of a team. Or no, he didn't step out of a team. Oh, it's true. You know, 2008 was a fantastic year for him. 2009, the car was a bit of a pig, but he was still. He was doing one. better than Kimi until but the he, accident. Yeah. But he was doing mm. better than Kimi. He was the one who was on top of everything um, until the accident. And then um, what happened was he had his accident. He went away for six months. He came back, and the team dynamic had completely changed because Fernando had come into the team and started to galvanise the whole thing around him. Um, and uh, you know Fernando has the talent and the consistency to be able to pull that off, um, and so it was. You know, Felipe was not only returning with all of this doubt, you know, and all of this, you know, external doubt as to you know whether he was going to be able to do it or not, but then he'd stepped into a different dynamic, and and it was quite difficult for him. So so a hundred percent, he was. You know, I was at those initial tests when he. Um, got into a 2006 car or 2007 car, I can't remember what it was, and 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 and, and practiced in Fiorano, then in, in in Barcelona, and 100%. You know, you could tell just by looking at the data and looking at the lap times that he was knocking out then. 
Um, there was nothing wrong with him. Nothing had changed. Absolutely nothing had changed. But what changed was it became psychologically more difficult for him to handle Fernando within that team. I mean, he outqualified him in Bahrain first time out at the start of 2010. But then Ferdy did him at the first or through turns one and two, and then that, that seemed to that that seemed to be a, got a, quite a telling moment to me. Yeah, so. It was it was a defining moment mm. definitely mm. Um, because it, you know it, it was it was absolutely typical of of you know everything that's brilliant about Fernando and everything that's not brilliant about Fernando is that he came through as his teammate, he bashed wheels with him. Mm. And there's your message, <laughs> you know. If you want a clear message of, of who's going to win this battle, there it is, right there. And 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 that obviously took Felipe back. You know, he was he was taken aback by that, as as a few of us were. We were kind of like, wow, that was quite aggressive. Um, you know, that could have been two cars out. Um, it, it wasn't, and, and and Fernando went on. I, I think did he did he win that race? He did. He did Fettel's car broke, and he won. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and and that was that was a little bit. You know that that started off. Felipe thinking about you know how, how difficult Fernando was going to be to 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 handle. Um, I think in Austra- was it Australia which was the first race. Always Bahrain. Yeah, Bahrain was the first race. So, so yeah. Australia yeah. must have been the second race, and then and then you know he, he then got some team orders as well to let Fernando through, um, which he didn't at the time, you know, and and it kind of just just started and, and, and went on from there. Um, so no, the, the, you know, to to answer the, the the original question, there was absolutely nothing changed with Felipe apart from the fact that he, he stepped into a much more difficult situation than the one that he stepped out of. Rob, I'm very wary that we've run over, way over time, um, which is a testament to how great it's been. So thank you. Thank um, you. This time of the year, just before Christmas, thank you so much for sparing so much of your time um, and for putting up with us too. Uh, no easy task. Simon, thank you very much Pleasure. for joining in and this time getting your facts right. Very yeah, kind. Thank you. Um, thank you also to Alan for <laughs> recording it all. Uh, we will be back next year for loads more motorsport podcasts. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye for now. Princess Yachts, the UK's leading luxury yacht manufacturer. Pride sponsors of Motorsports Formula One coverage. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.